Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you in the house of the Lord as we continue in our Mark series. I trust it's been an encouragement to you. I got this right here. I want to ask you, what, what, what do you think this is? Can you see what this is? You say a train? Yeah, it is a train. It's a locomotive, but uh, any hobbyists here? This is uh, what scale? This would be an H-O locomotive. This is the Union Pacific 284. And, and she's great. I mean, she's beautiful. She's got a great motor. And, and when she's on a layout, she looks even better coming down the track if you get excited when you see uh, hobbies and things like that, you know, you know there's something neat about train sets and, and looking at these model railroads going by, especially when you see them in action. And with this one specifically, you'll notice there's a lot of what you might call cars, but a hobbyist would call them rolling stock. There's plenty of rolling stock behind this locomotive. And in order to enjoy this hobby, they need to stay on the track. It can really annoy a hobbyist when the cars just won't stay on. And that can be a couple of reasons. One, uh, there's poor track quality. There's, there's a connector that's hitting one of the trucks and it's just falling off the track. Another is the cars aren't properly balanced and weighted and, and, and so they're unstable and they easily fall over. Another is they're not linked up properly and they come off that. But what can really happen when a locomotive's going down the track if another car, just because they're so small, I mean, this doesn't happen if it's a large locomotive, but it can if cars are derailed, it can also derail the engine. And the most powerful, massive weight, the tons and everything that this is can be derailed by sometimes even the lightest, weakest rolling stock behind it. You know, the enemy knows this. The enemy knows there's some engines God uses. Oh, they're like locomotives. They have so much influence, so many connections, so many ways that they can advance the kingdom of God. And when they're rolling down the track, my word, so many people get linked up and get benefited and get donations towards it, get help they need, get volunteers, recruiting, all the above. The enemy knows when God's got an engine. And oftentimes those engines, they're prayed up. People see them out in front go, hey, we're praying for you. We got, I pray for you every day. But you know what? The enemy sometimes goes, you know, the engine, I can't get to that. So I think I'll go after something linked to the engine. Where's the, where's the area? Where, where's the spot I could attack? And it's like he's looking at this and he kind of takes a different angle. And he's evaluating where it happens. And he notices there's just this one car. If I kind of zero in on that, maybe knock it off track a little bit. Put some doubt in there. Get some fear. <laughs> the engine cares a lot about that, and that will slow the engine down. Yeah, if it's off the track, other cars on the track that are linked to it 
could possibly fall off the track. And then the influence slows. Then the locomotive slows. Then everything surrounding it is impacted. And it's just one more way I can attack the creator of that layout who thinks he can use these locomotives for his glory. Our story today is about a father who is a son being viciously attacked by the enemy. So much so that it's threatening to derail his faith. The difficulty, the length of time, the wavering back and forth. And he says one of the more memorable lines in scripture, many of you know it, when Jesus asks him if he believes that he can heal the boy. The father says, I believe. But do you remember what he puts after that? Help my unbelief. I believe. But I got some unbelief in me right now. Let me talk to the children of God for a second. If you're visiting today and you haven't made a profession of faith in your life, I'm so glad you're here, but children of God, I'm speaking specifically to you right now. Is there somewhere where the enemy is trying to tell you God's not interested in this one? Is there somewhere the enemy's trying to tell you he's not capable this time? Is there somewhere in your life where you believe God, but there's something going on that he can't fix. You say, no, Chris, that's not even my battle. My battle isn't that he can't. I know he can. I just don't know if he's willing to or going to. And therefore, you're wrestling with what that reality means. And even in that little battle, the enemy wants in on that one too. Because if he can derail your hope, he can take out the whole train. How can I be watching for this? I don't want this to derail. How can I be doing something? I feel so powerless amongst the enemy's attacks and oh, it just feels like he's growing more and more real and obvious. What are things I should be looking for? I wanna take this account of this father with this son who has these demonic attacks on him and I wanna show you six specific ways you can watch for the devil's derailment areas. Oh, those spots where if it's occurring, he's coming in right there. And if you know that, oh, you're so much more prepared. It was Daniel who said, I purposed in my heart. See, it's one thing, athletes, right? Any athletes out there? It's one thing when you get surprised by something. It's another thing if the other team pulls a strategy on you, you were anticipating. We saw this coming. We know this play. We've seen this before. Do your best. We're ready. Children of God, 
this is one of those messages where do your best, but we're gonna attack this battle as if we've already won. Heavenly Father, use your message today from the gospel of Mark to inspire our hearts. I pray if you would, Lord, remove the room of distraction. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive it. And Lord, I pray we would leave differently today because we made it a priority to sit under the sacred text, the words of God. And so, Lord, we adhere to them, we listen to them, and we learn from them. We open this today in your name. Amen. And when they came down, the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. What's going on here? Let's get some of the context. Jesus was up on top of the Mount Transfiguration. We had this super moment. He's standing there. He shows his glory. And on the right and the left are Moses and who? Elijah, what the law and the prophets, Jesus is God. He shows himself to all the disciples? No, to James, John, and Peter, his inner circle. And so they're coming down off the mountain. They're working through, whoa, wow. They're asking him questions. Jesus is giving feedback. But they've got this like, we are with Superman moment going on. I mean, oh my word, we can take on the world. Jesus is God. Did you see that? He was bright white. I mean, what? You got that kind of emotions going on. And they come down and the disciples are having an argument. Parents, have you ever had just a, you know, you're just all excited. You had this wonderful, wonderful time out. You haven't gone on a date, young couples. And you you come home and every one of the kids are upset about something. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're coming off this high moment. You walk in the house and she did this. They they said they were going to clean it up. This is where we're at. We got the disciples, the scribes are arguing. There's something. Everybody's upset about something. Let's continue the, the account. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran it up and greeted him. All of a sudden, okay, enough arguing. Whoa, there he is. Let's continue. And scripture says, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So, so it's clear he, he comes up to the other disciples. What are, you, what are you arguing about with them? Coming off this awesome moment and there's an immediate derailment opportunity. What is it? Division. Division. There's something... I try to communicate to all our point leaders in our organization, where you see division, you will see the devil. Watch for it. If you're doing something that's causing division, if you are dealing with division, if there's a lot of division in your home, you are prone for the devil's attacks. One of the reasons we're told to deal with conflict is because that's one of the areas he's coming. And so if you have division, I bet you got some narratives in your head, even anger narratives against another child of God. Well, they were jerks and the devil's going, yeah, they were jerks. <laughs> Watch for his schemes. When you spot division, go, hold up, hold up. This is the enemy. No, it's that lady. No, no, it's the enemy. You don't battle against flesh and blood 
but rulers and principalities, children of God. And he wants you angry and bitter and upset and feeling neglected or underappreciated. He loves when you run those narratives in your head because he's got division in the room. And this is when he can do his best work. Watch for it. That's one. And someone from the crowd answer him, teacher, I'll tell you why everybody's arguing. I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Oh no, that again? I mean, this keeps coming up in the Mark N account. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. There's a corner on the track of life and it's called distress. And the enemy loves to work in distress. He knows you're not at your best. There's something bothering you, upsetting you, stressing you out. Imagine the difficulty on any family, let alone father, who is watching their child dealing with something and can't fix it. It is an emotional stress. It's a financial stress because you're going everywhere to try to fix it. It can be, if there's a marriage involved, marital stress because sometimes both people don't know or agree on how to handle the subject. It's stressing on that. It's visually stressing. And the enemy goes, oh, I noticed the spot here where I can attack their faith. I thought God was good. How come this is happening? I thought, I thought God delivers, you sang last Sunday. How come this is happening? He's clever, church. He works in distress. Jesus responds and says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? wow, we're seeing Jesus expressing some emotions of what is it going to take to get you to believe in me? Bring him to me. <laughs> Jesus, you don't understand. The enemy is having his way. You can't just bring him to me. Dismay is in the room. Dreads in the room, but he says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. It's a scary scene. And here's the third one. Dread. Dread. When you're seeing something that is visually disturbing, it can cause dread in people. There are some of you built to handle these types of situations. You usually work for a hospital, an ambulance, or something. You are special people. God has uniquely gifted you to handle dreadful moments. But there are others that are a little more sensitive to things like blood. Some of you stand right there and just go, oh, look at that. 
Others of you go right over like this. Okay? But one of the things the enemy likes to do is find something that particularly scares you. One person can be incredibly nervous around germs. Other people lick their hands. You don't think the enemy knows what your patterns are. And dread can be something that can really shake people. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has this been going on? And the father said, from childhood. But watch, he adds some detail here. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. What? There's times where he leaps into water or he leaps into fire. It's almost like there's some self-harm going on. And that can bring such dismay. When someone is obviously inflicting self-harm on them, we can see it's the spirit bothering him here, but it brings dismay. You're never wondering if this is the day. People around them on the train, they're wondering, can we keep them alive? I've heard parents talk about the dismay they feel over children who are admitting they don't want to live, how it works on them, how they can't concentrate, how they can't think, how they feel like wherever I go, I should feel guilty. I'm there. I should be with them. It brings such dismay in the enemy. He, he loves dismay. He wants to say it's over. This is how your life's going to be forever. You're done. You're done. I got you. And that person says, you got me. And he turns to Jesus in just the most humble way and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Almost like, look, I, I'll just take a hug at this point. I, 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 so defeated, such dismay. And Jesus said to him, if you can, what? If you can. If you can do anything, could you have compassion? If you can. What? I mean, all things are possible for one who believes. What? It's as if Jesus is driving right at doubt. And the enemy loves doubt. Doubt is one of his best derailers. He wants doubt in the room. Could you just maybe have compassion? Look, I, I know, I know you you pray or whatever, but but could you just have compassion? Anything is possible for one who believes. Oh, but but I have some doubt in him here. And this passage right here, I'm gonna just a quick note, has been ripped out of context and made it a name it claim it passage, which is not what it is. We know belief or the decision doesn't guarantee the course. Many of you have believed last year the Phillies would win this World Series. You can put up signs, believe, you just gotta believe. You still lost, right? 
People sometimes have taken this and they've even said to people, they've even used this as a weapon against people and said, well, the reason you're still struggling is because you don't believe. You don't have enough faith. Isn't it funny how it's never turned back on the healer and say, well, how come you don't have enough faith to heal me? It's always put on the person receiving. Have you ever noticed that? And if you're such a healer, how come you're not over at the hospital instead of on a stage? Because I got rooms full of people. And so when you begin to ask real questions, you go, this isn't a name it, claim it. Jesus is saying, there's a doubt problem here. And I want to deal with the doubt problem. In fact, he says, I've got a generation full of doubt. And oh, the enemy attacks faith. You know, our faith sometimes, honestly, it can be a little bit like a battery. There are times, church, my faith can get hit with a few things. And I know your faith can too. There are some things you're like, God, oh my goodness, no. When I hear an entire first grade class gets shot up, it's just like, are you kidding me? There are some things you don't just recover when you hear on the news. Ask any young parent who drops their child off. It's like, are you kidding me? And it doesn't shake my faith in God. Not at all. Not even a little. But it does rattle my defenses. It causes me to get a little more protective. It makes me think a little more self-protection and self-assertion. And it works on me in that area. And I have to remember who's in control. And when I go back to scripture, I remember that no attack is allowed to happen to me unless it goes through the Lord and he is faithful and will use it even if it's difficult, ask Job. And the father in these moments where his faith is at a weaker spot in his life, where he's feeling like this isn't gonna happen, this isn't gonna work out, I have utmost confidence in God. I have utmost belief in him. I have utmost belief that he can. And the father turns and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, could you go right to that spot? I believe you. I'm just, I got some unbelief in here and I need you to target it. Is anybody in here who got a struggle where they believe God? No doubt in your mind. But that thing is really hitting your faith. That's where Jesus does his best work. When we feel defeated, he reminds us, oh, the enemy loves to work in a defeat, doesn't he? You have a habitual sin you're not sharing with anyone? Maybe you've struggled with it with years. Maybe it's in the area of lust. Maybe it's in the area of anger. Maybe it's the area of gossip. Maybe it's the area of worry. And it's been a struggle with you for a long time. And when you get defeated, isn't the enemy clever? 
you loser. You failure. Don't talk to God. He don't want to hear from you. This is like the thousandth time you promised him you'll never do it again. Move on. You're a failure. And then it starts happening to your prayer life. God, I know I'm a loser, but I need to talk to you. And he just destroys your confidence in those times of defeat. You say, Chris, I hear a lot of D words today. Well, there are all ways that the enemy wants to derail. Division, distress, dread, dismay, doubt, and defeat. And if you got all six going on, you might have yourself a very real attack going on in your life. And if you don't know how to fight back, if you don't realize how he works, you can't strategize against a very real enemy in your life and who wants your children, parents, who wants your parents' children, who wants your mind, college student, he wants your attitude, senior saint, he wants it, and he wants to destroy it. Not because if you follow him, you'll be on his team. He hates his own teammates. He despises them, and he comes for one reason. In fact, actually, I could argue he comes for three reasons. And therefore, it's imperative, and Scripture challenges believers to know his schemes and arrows. Sounds like a board game, doesn't it? Schemes and arrows. I remember the game Shoots and Ladders. How about schemes and arrows? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's like he spots an engine, moves in on it, notices it has some defenses around it, and thinks, hmm, maybe I'll go here. Because this is attached and if I could take this out, look what that'll do. Oh, look what that, that person's like, I don't know how that could happen to that wonderful engine. This one says, it's just scary to be in a world where we pray about stuff and it happens anyway. <laughs> Clever. Mm. Schemes and arrows. So what are some schemes? Let's go through the three schemes. Here's the first scheme. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. There's a prince in the power of the rulers of the world and he works through cravings and desires. And if he can bring in things to your life, if, if there's things that can get to you that make you go to a craving, oh, he starts, he wants to start destroying your health through your gut. And so he goes after your temple of God. And if you don't steward it properly, he can have a day 
And then you lose your energy, you lose your strength. And, and, and he loves to do that with, with cravings, especially addictive cravings and desires. What? It's the lust of the flesh. My body wants it. I'd like to have it. And the things you don't want, he likes to make even, excuse me, the things you really want, he likes to make more attractive. And so the fantasies start. And then before you know it, you say things like, well, you know, everybody eats and, and you know, I know, I know she's not my wife, but everybody has lunch and you got to have lunch and everybody eats. And then, you know, I know, I know I, my wife won't want to talk to me about this and she loves to talk to me about this. And before you know it, the enemy goes, oh man, look at that. I destroyed a mess of people with that one. You got to watch for his schemes. He will attack in the areas of the lust of the flesh. Do you have a craving or a desire that you feel is no big deal? Is it possible that it's a massive deal and it's growing? What are the arrows? Well, the arrows are distress and dread. I mean, stressed out people have more cravings. It's great. Work harder. Go faster. Scroll through the internet and see who you're not keeping up with. Just brings tremendous distress. And then dread when you realize you can't keep up with it. And you aren't able to compare yourself. See, the thief comes to do three things. Steal, kill, and destroy. Those are the arrows. Here's the second scheme. Lust of the flesh. Well, how about the lust of the eyes? Possessions and pursuits. If I have that, if I have that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having pursuits. But we have to watch when he challenges us to pursue worldly things more than the things of God. Seek to never own anything that you wouldn't lend out if somebody needed it. Seek to not pursue anything that if you got it, you wouldn't bless to someone else. A phrase I like to call, have selfless ambition, not selfish ambition. Because the lust of the eyes will say, get it for myself. You deserve this. And it's a scheme. How's he come after us? With arrows. This scheme has arrows too. And it's defeat and doubt. Because the thief comes not only to steal, but he wants to kill your hope. He wants to kill the things you have that bring you joy, that bring you comfort. And the third scheme Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Position and power. If I have this and I get this, I will be free to do whatever I want. I can say when I stop working. I can say when I do work. I can say when I'm going to something. I can say what I don't. We are in love and we pursue the incredible and all-consuming goal to be in control of our lives. And we play it out in different ways and the enemy works off of the pride of life. And so he shoots arrows like division and dismay because there's nothing that can derail your agenda than relationships that are full of division and conflict. It is extremely hard. Ask anybody who lives in tension and conflict. It is extremely hard to be productive because you're constantly working through narratives in your head of what could happen, what's gonna happen, how they'll react, how you can stay away from them, how you can avoid the same grocery store they go to. It's just incredible the amount 
of distress division can bring into a person's life. That's why Paul says, as far as it is by you, seek to leave a peace with all men. But why? Because they deserve it. They're jerks. No, 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 no. As far as it is with you, you need this. Because the enemy uses those arrows to destroy lives. And you say, no, time out, Pastor Chris. I just step to the side real quick. Can we just, can we just, what? Do you think sometimes the Bible, um, clearly inferior medical science, clearly inferior at those times of what we now know, um, this is clearly epilepsy and we're crediting it to the devil? I, just, I, just, I know, I know, we're here, it's church. I just wanted to quick jump in on that. You know, is it possible we're accrediting things to the devil? You know, sometimes Christians, they're like, the devil did it. It's, ah, you got a headache, dude. I, I, I walked out of my room and I stubbed my toe. The devil's after me today. No, nah, no, nah, you, you should have picked up the Lego. <laughs> no. You ever do that? You ever, just quick stop, you know? And college students in the room, yeah, you do a quick stop, you know? I know, my, I know grandma loves this stuff, but... I want you to watch what happens and you tell me, you tell me if this is just a medical phenomenon or not. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him. And this is kind of nerve wracking and never enter him again. Th this one's really after this boy for Jesus to say, and you're not coming back. And watch what happens. Scripture says, and after crying out and convulsing in him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. On the words of Jesus, this thing attacked the boy. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus saying, come out and never come again. And it all just, all this happens and then the boy boom, falls over. Okay, clearly something was going on there that was on a supernatural level. Clearly this is paranormal activity. Clearly this was an attack and clearly, this is different than saying anybody who convulses, anybody who foams at the mouth, anybody who struggles with some of the things that we know now are, that must be a demon. That is not what this passage is saying at all. This is a specific situation. And it's very, very clear. And the boy falls over. And how many of them? Most of them said, oh, no, he's dead. And the father's faith I believe, I just help my unbelief. He's looking at the boy and Jesus walks over to him. Takes him by the hand, look what scripture says. And lift him up and he arose. Now, I love what Mark is doing. He's being true to what the account was. But I would have loved to add this phrase. And Jesus turned to them and said, how's your faith now? I would, I would have loved that, but see, I didn't know. <laughs> How's it going now? Oh, better, much better. How we doing now? The Apostle Paul writes, 
ways that we can stand too. And so does the great pastor James in his book of James. Oh yes, the lion is real and the lion attacks. But see, there's this other lion. Have you ever heard of him? It's the lion of Judah. See, there's a lion that walks around, ready? Like a roaring lion. He likes to copy. And he goes around going, rah! And then, <laughs> but see, every once in a while, there's this other lion who when he roars, he roars as if he already won. And that's why this prowling lion has to sneak around because he's absolutely horrified and terrified of the lion of Judah because he's already won. See, God is not fighting battles for you that he hopes works out for him. When you read in the book of Revelation about the battle of Armageddon, and if you somehow think this is mano y mano, they're gonna go a couple rounds, the devil's like ready for him, and he gathers in the Antichrist, the beast, he gathers all the nations, and then it says, Jesus comes down with fire in his eyes and a sword out, he came like that humble prophet, that rabbi, walking the streets of Nazareth, walking through Bethlehem and dying on a cross. He came, he came to die as the perfect lamb. But he's still alive because he rose again three days and he was raised a roaring lion. And the lion of Judah is seated at the right hand of the father. And when the father says go, he comes and he's not worried about how it's gonna go. In fact, there's so much patience in heaven, it's giving people time to realize they are on a side that has no hope. And that lion, the lion of Judah, is going to come on top of that mountain, they say in Megiddo, and look around and not be like, all right, are you ready? It's more like, okay, next. And that's the side child of God. And the Holy Spirit right now is going, mm, yes. That's the side. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ and confess with your heart and believe in your mouth that he is Lord, he is residing in you through the Holy Spirit. And that is the power you can walk around in. And with that same lion on your side, the Apostle Paul says, wake up every morning. All of you are under attack. The prowling lion is seeking some to devour and put on the shield of what? Oh, shield of faith. If you sense any kind of D words in your life, I want you waking up every morning and putting on the shield of faith. Holy Spirit, put on me the armor of God. You can give him all the armor. You don't have to. He knows the armor. But for some people, it really helps. The belt of truth. Whenever I say that in my prayer life, I go and I read the Bible. Breastplate of righteousness. Whenever I say that, I say, Father, forgive me for any impurity I might be dwelling on, looking at, or thinking about. The helmet of salvation for those moments when the enemy wants to attack my head and tell me I'm not saved or tell me I'm failure. 
and the shield of faith so that you might be able to what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. You have the Lion of Judah on your side and he says to you, stop running, stand, stand right there. In my strength? No, in the strength of Jesus Christ. And resist. We're told in James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll do what? Flee, how can he flee? He's so powerful. He's a defeated foe. It's like he's holding a weapon up to you and you see the weapon and it terrifies you, but it's got no bullets because he's been beaten. And so he prowls around with defeat and dismay and discouragement. When they entered the house, (laughs) his disciples asked him privately, you gave us the power to cast out demons. How come we weren't able to cast that one out? That's a good question. And Jesus says, well, Uh, That kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. I added fasting for some of your translations. It might not have that. In others, it does. So so prayer and fasting, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, it's almost like there's two rails that'll lead you back to getting on track. Prayer and fasting. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Now, Now, this is the prayer of belief. Do you know how to pray the prayer of belief? Um, uh, this is not the prayer of belief. Heavenly Father, I know you probably don't want to do this. That's not the prayer of belief. Um, Lord, I was praying about this, but I figured since you never answered, that's not the prayer of belief. If I name it, it will happen. That's not the prayer of belief. What's the prayer of belief? I think there's four aspects to it. And this is just some of my prayerology I'm gonna give you out of my journal for application today before we leave. Four verses you need in your prayerology. First one, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Do you believe that? Do you pray like you believe that? Or do you believe that? Lord, help my unbelief. If you abide in me, well, what does it mean to abide? A close, intimate relationship. You're not gonna pray believing prayers if you haven't confessed sin that you've been harboring or dealing with. Before you pray, we see throughout scripture, Jesus says, you get right with me. I would encourage you in your prayer life to begin your prayers with Heavenly Father, I'm coming to you and I wanna confess all sin that might hinder me in my life. And you'll be surprised. The Holy Spirit will bring to light some of the things that he wants to deal with. And that abiding relationship will grow. It serves as a filter, if you will, for your prayer life. Abide. Second, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. What, what? does this mean if like, if I just say, I believe it, we've already discussed this. No, But it's saying if you believe, that is part of the prayer of belief. Okay, I need to believe. Can you give me more context? Come boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help. When? In times of need. And then finally, if you ask me anything in my name, it's in accordance to my name, I will do it. These are verses in scripture. Do you believe them? 
I believe them. What's the problem? It doesn't seem to always work for me. What's the problem? I just feel like sometimes he doesn't answer some of the things I'm praying, but I, I believe those help my unbelief. Okay, well then I'll give you something I have in my prayerology, my journal that I call prayerology. I literally call this all my verses about prayer. I have Abba. When I come to God, am I abiding? Am I dealing with any unconfessed sin that could hurt my relationship? Do I believe that God is capable? Is that voiced in my prayers? Am I coming boldly or weakly to him? Am I being specific? God, I wanna see this, because what that does is it refines you. When you're bold, you go, wait, is that really? Because scripture reminds me, you don't have because you don't ask. And you don't receive because you wanted to spend it on your own pleasures. So, so I have to align to Jesus' name. Is this something I want or is this something he wants is the biggest question. And you say, Chris, I hear you, but could you give me an example? Let's try Jesus out. Abba, Father. Did anybody abide more close to his father? He went off to pray and he said, Abba, Dad, Father, abide. And he said this, all things are possible for you. He believed. He believed all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Oh, that's bold. That is so bold. He is specifically saying, could there be another way than the cross? Remove it. I don't want to go through this separation from you. Very bold, very honest, very pure with his heavenly father. And then he aligns. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Child of God, have you ever heard that God answers prayers in three ways? Yes, no, and wait. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's great. But I would say this. God answers prayers. Yes, I'll remove the cup. No, I won't remove the cup or endure. And we don't like the endure answer. Because if we have to endure, that means God's not gonna change this. He's gonna change you so you can handle this. Oh, I just want you to change this. I wanna change you so you can handle this. Scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our what? So if you wanna look to how to grow your faith, who do you go to? The pioneer, that means he started it. And then he perfected it, two great words. For the joy set before him, he did what? He endured. Because the answer was not remove this cup. If you've ever prayed a prayer and said, God just doesn't do it, and Jesus doesn't understand that, Jesus would raise his hand and say, that's not true. Did you not hear me pray the Abba prayer? Abba Father, I'm intimately acquainted with you. You can do everything, I completely believe. Remove this, you put in what you want to put in. And that you've got to align in his name. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then that second rail, fasting. 
Fasting is becoming popular on your social media for diet, different things like that. Nothing necessarily or inherently wrong with that. There's no doubt in 16 hours, the body can do a lot of different things. There's no doubt about that, okay? You can look at the effects of all that. That is not the fasting of scripture. It's not something that can be public or announced. It's something that's private with the individual. But a fast in scripture isn't always one thing or another. We see fasting in different ways. In fact, I know folks who fast from different things besides food, and it really does a great work. And so I just build out here for us as we leave prayer and fasting, two rails, believing prayer, Abba, fasting. I noticed in scripture that there's lengths of fasts. Don't make it legalistic, but there's a few different lengths of fasts. One was three days, another was 10 days, another was 21 days, and another was 40 days. So you see different lengths. So if God leads you to say, I, want, I, want, you know, I, I think I need to fast. I think something going on so heavy in our lives, so much demonic stuff, I, I want to fast, then that might serve as a template. I also noticed there's a reason for each one of those. Do you remember what those were? Empathy was Esther. Could you pray for fast for three days? I'm going to go to the king. Would you pray for Empathy. Loyalty was Daniel. We're gonna fast from food for 10 days and see if our food doesn't make us healthier than everyone else. Daniel, 21 days, anxiety, overwhelm of what was going on. Daniel fasted for 21 days. They often say that's the amount of time to break a bad habit. And then 40 days, we saw this with Moses on the mountain and Jesus in the wilderness. I also noticed all four of those brought results. The three days brought boldness. Esther walked in with courage. It was a fast for someone else. And so if you might want to fast for someone else, consider three days, pray for their boldness and their courage. The 10 days was for their wellness and to show the wellness that they decided to do. The 21 days brought renewal to Daniel and brought reinvigoration. And the 40 days brought commission. 40 days were like, you're not going to the level I want you to go to until you go through this. And in those 40 days, the enemy attacked Jesus in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And Jesus stood firm and resisted the devil by what? Let me quote him. For it is written, you have in your hands everything you need for prayer and fasting. And maybe that's a level of intimacy in your spiritual life that you haven't gone to yet. The prayer I like to pray when I feel my prayers might be off a line. And the thing I go back to is a quote that runs through my head. Here it is. Lord, if you're not going to change this, then change me for this. We're fighting battles. No doubt about it. 
but they're battles that he's already won. And the line of Judah, child of God, is on your side. Stand firm and put on the shield of faith. Call for it. Abba, Father, forgive me of any sin. I know you can do all things. I would like you to do this and whatever it is, give it to him. But not my will, but yours be done. And if the answer is yes, I'll remove it. Amen. If the answer is no, trust he has more plans for your good. If the answer's endure and say, Lord, if you're not going to change this, if my daughter's going to suffer, if my son's going to struggle, if my wife, if my husband, if my grandma, if my parents, God, if it's not going to change, would you change me? Because I'm not handling this right now very well. I got dismay, God. I got discouragement. I got defeat. And I'm forgetting I'm on the winning team. Because the lowering lion, he's, he, or the prowling lion's screaming at me. And all I'm seeing is that. Help me to see what you're doing. Strengthen my heart. And you will find the best way to do that is through prayer and fasting. Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody in here today going through a trial or a difficulty or even an attack. I pray you would show yourself strong in their lives. When we pray Abba prayers, we align to your will for the situation. When we fast, we stop behavior or remove things to draw our attention specifically to you. Lord, I know there are couples who've had financial stress in their life that fasted from purchasing things on Amazon for a month and it changed their marriage. I know, I know young men who have fasted from certain apps, deleted them off of their phone for a certain amount of days and it changed and helped them rewire their minds. No young girls who have fasted from certain relationships. They just stayed away from them for a couple days to stop what was occurring in their friendship circles. There are times, Lord, where we have to look at the behaviors and say, that's enough. And sometimes that comes with intentional times of prayer and discipline. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do battle through your children of God as they come to you in prayer and possibly even if you lead them fasting. And I pray that it will encourage them spiritually in such ways that to look at you and hear your loving voice from heaven say, how's your faith now? Amen.